Good evening, everyone. Just wanted to hop on for our latest installment of Christianity Proper, <clears throat> Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. This is the second time, as far as recording live on Facebook goes, that it is later in the evening, but the number of people that are online and apparently logged on to Facebook continues to rise. So either uh, there's a lot of people who just stay up late normally, or there's some insomniacs out there, which it's really not that late right now. It's around 940, 945. Um, but um, we actually have two installments of Christianity Property, Property, Christianity Proper planned for this week. And um, this is one tonight that I've had lined up for a few weeks now. And initially it was going to kind of be more of a, of a deep dive, but I honestly think it'll be better off just to approach this one very simplistically, uh, very practically, and just as a, just a basic encouragement um, as far as something that we need. This is a part of our What We Need Most series. So thus far through these installments, we've had What We Need Most, the gospel, What We Need Most, sound doctrine, What We Need Most, biblical preaching, now, with those last two installments, What We Need Most, Sound Doctrine and Biblical Preaching, uh, I mentioned on each of those at least once that as far as our everyday lives go, um, it started with sound doctrine. So doctrine flows um, most commonly from two places in our lives, in the home and from the pulpit of whichever church that we attend. And if the doctrine is not sound in the home and from the pulpit, um, really what needs to happen is we just need to tear down the whole structure and start from scratch. But hopefully we have a desire and, and um, a goal to have sound doctrine. Um, hopefully when we're looking for a church to attend, that we're not just looking for whoever has the most activities, whoever has the most children's stuff going on, but we want sound doctrine biblical doctrine that flows from that pulpit within the home. Um, hopefully, uh, if there's kids involved, then hopefully we're raising up those children with sound doctrine that we're not. Um, and and here, here's where just the basic generic encouragement comes in. We're really not going to get too much deeper than what I'm about to say. Um, I want to encourage all of us that if we're, if we're raising children, let it be more than just, hey, we're a Christian family. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We go to church. Um, and let it be more than just teaching your child, okay, well, this is who Jesus was. He was born of a virgin. Um, he lived a perfect life. He laid down that life upon the cross. He was buried and he's risen again. Now that is the core, uh, the root, if you will, of, of everything that Christians believe. We know that all of scripture uh, pertains to Christ. And all of the promises of God are yes in Christ. Um, but as we raise our children, there needs to be sound doctrine from start to finish, if you will. Uh, from start to finish with scripture, Genesis to Revelation, start to finish. Uh, and from start to finish within the lives of our children. We need to, we need to consistently be, be getting a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper um, with what we're teaching our children in the home. It's not just up to the pastor or the youth pastor to teach our children about scripture. We should take that, we should take that responsibility very seriously in the home. And so what we need most, family worship. And I put, I put a period after family and worship, not just to be, not just to get people's attention or try to have one of those, you know, um, common, uh, titles, uh, family, worship. Oh, that's, that's neat. That's creative. It's not that creative. Everybody does it now. I did it on, I did it on purpose though. What we need is family and what we need is family worship. Um, and so coming back to just that, again, that, that generic, um, just simple encouragement, um, consider what you're teaching your children at home um, the depth of what you're teaching your children at home. If you haven't started, if, if, if you're not in the habit of having family worship or even just if you don't if you don't really get on board with the term family worship, just family devotion. 
Um, I would encourage you to, to start that, to start that. And, and later we'll get into where to start if you don't know where to start uh, and things of that nature. But one of the, one of the chief reasons, um, I actually, I would probably say the chief reason that I feel so strongly about this, at this point in my life, we've got uh, four children, a fifth on the way. Now, uh, for those who don't know, we are in the process of adopting two, and those would be our, our oldest daughters. Um, and then we have two biological children, Wren and Rose, and then we have uh, Hope, who is on the way. And so we have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 2-year-old, a 1-year-old, and a baby due in June. Uh, so prayers appreciated. <laughs> um, all girls, by the way. But um, especially with the older two, the ones that are 11, 9. And then if you just pay attention to what's going on in the world today and what has been going on in the world today for the last few years, the idea of family. And when I say the idea of family, I mean family proper. You know, this is proper ministries. This is Christianity proper. So when we say family, we mean family proper, what it actually is, the biblical definition of family. One man, one woman becoming one, um, that marriage, that union being for a lifetime. The man and the woman coming together and procreating, having offspring. And there is your family. That is the family structure. One man, one woman, offspring, family. And there's, there's, great, there's great beauty in that, but there's great strength in that. Just teaching your children, hey, what you see going on in the world today. Um, we as Christians, we don't just say that it's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. We don't, we don't think that way. Um, grounding that in scripture. Uh, and this has been one of the most, I'm only 32. And even, and even growing up, I would have never thought hey, it's going to be really, really important to teach my children what a family actually is and what a boy actually is and what a girl actually is. I never would have thought that this would be such a imperative to actually get down to that very simplistic, basic, created order of things. Uh, never did I think that this would be something that Kristen and I had to be so <clears throat> intentional about. But... It's really amazing because that's that's where it ought to start for all of us. If you're an adult and you've and you, and you've never really thought far enough into it, but also if you've never really thought just at the rudimentary level of it all, okay, I'm a Christian. So why why do Christians say that homosexuality is wrong? What's the real reason? Oh, well, it goes against God's created order. It's a fundamental rebellion against God's created order. Why does God hate divorce so much? Why is it one man, one woman for a lifetime, the two become one? Why is that so significant? Oh, well, it's because it represents Christ and his bride, the church. And so marriage is supposed to be a reflection of that. And so it's a very sacred thing and it, and it should not be profaned, right? Um, and now we live in a day and age, now it's like, okay, well, what gender? Where did that concept come from? What 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 is gender? Oh well, it goes all the way back to creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You go through the entire creation account. We see that He creates man and He created them male and female. And male and female come together in in the union of marriage and they procreate, be fruitful and multiply. That was one of the first commandments or commands given to Adam was be fruitful, multiply. Um, and so if you take any other, any other union other than a biblical representation of marriage and family, you, you can't even fulfill that command to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and so these things are very, very fundamental. And so within the family now, the Christian family, um, we've already talked about we need the gospel, we need sound doctrine, we need biblical preaching, we need family worship. And one of the, one of the most important things and one of the most simple, straightforward things that you could do for your children or for your home. But even as simple as it is, it's going to anchor your family in the faith and in a biblical worldview. See, it's not just about, well, this is who Jesus was and this is what he did. Uh, as believers, we should take it very seriously to understand what it is to actually have a biblical worldview, 
where we view from start to finish the creation of the world, uh, how we came into existence, why we're here, uh, why creation is here, and the fact that it all points to the glory of God. And it all, ultimately, it all points to Christ because we know that it's the will of the Father that Christ will have preeminence in all things and that all things will be united in Christ. And so um, thus far, I've been a bit sporadic and just kind of um, shotgunned some ideas out there. Uh, I do have some notes to keep me on track, but um, I, like I said, I wanted to hop on here tonight. Uh, today was a great day for our family. Um, and I guess that's why it was kind of on my mind again, because it, it, to be transparent, I'm putting a lot of work into preparing the next installment of Christianity proper, which is not going to be a what we need most installment. It's going to be based upon just some local trends that I'm seeing within the church that are very, they're just concerning. Um, and so I'm, I, I really am doing a deep dive into those things. And I've kind of been putting this one off, putting this one off. Um, but honestly, today was, today was one of those days with the family that uh, you could say almost everything went right. And it was just one of those peaceful days. And it was a beautiful day. Uh, we brought the girls home from school and they were playing some soccer in the yard and I was cutting grass. And then the the 11-year-old, the 9-year-old, and the 2-year-old were actually trying to build a little house out of sticks in the yard together. And they were actually, they were playing well together. There was no arguing. There was no bickering. They were like working together. And I was like, wow, this is there's a little miracle that we have today. There's no arguing and fussing and bickering. And so the topic of family was on my mind heavy today. And, and I was very thankful today. And I was praising God that, hey, you know, this is this is one of those days that just reminds me of your faithfulness, God, and, and how good you are. Um, but but something we do as a family is, is we try to have family worship every night. It's nothing profound. It, it's nothing prolific or or anything like that, just a simple, we have dinner together, um, we sing a song or two, uh, we pray, we read from scripture, we have a little lesson, and, and we, and then we pray for, for the family, and um, I'm getting ahead of myself, because it, it, I will say that when you do family worship, if you're not in the habit of doing it, it's not always, like, just being straight up, it's not always fun, it's not always exciting, sometimes it's actually hard, sometimes it's difficult, Sometimes you feel like you just don't want to do it. Sometimes one of the kids is being unruly. Sometimes one of the kids is is pouting or they're upset because they've had a hard day. They've had a long day and they don't really want to participate in family worship. And so you have to navigate all those things. But I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, in the, the two years or so that we've been intentionally trying to implement this family worship, there's just been great reward and great blessing from it. And again, even that's not anything profound. You know, sometimes it's just as simple as one of the girls saying, you know, Hey daddy, you said good night, but we didn't, we didn't pray together when you, when you took me in. And that's an offshoot of family worship. We, we have our family worship, but then when we took the girls in at night, we, we try to pray with them and stuff like that. And so sometimes it's something as simple as them saying, Hey, you forgot to pray. We need, we need to pray together. And they remember the, the significance of that. And they want that time together in prayer and um, sometimes it's weeks later, they say, oh, I remember that one time that you, um, this actually happened not long ago because there was one night for family worship. I used a brownie as, as a object lesson. And, um, anyway, they, they remember that they said, oh, this is like that one time that you used the brownie and you cut it into slices and we shared it with one another. And we, we talked about the, anyway, they, they remembered almost verbatim the entire Bible lesson that night. Uh, yes, it was connected to a brownie, but they remembered it. Um, and so sometimes the reward, the blessing from that is just very simplistic. Hey, we remembered something or hey, we memorized that verse of scripture. Um, but I would just encourage you uh, and eat, whether you're already in the habit of doing family worship or whether you're not in the habit of doing family worship, in that case, I would just encourage you to start. If you're already in the habit of family worship and you and you haven't covered creation and how that anchors everything and why how that's the the basis for a lot of the rest of the the things that we believe um as christians and how even jesus himself is really i guess you could say prophesied in a way or foreshadowed 
right there in Genesis three, when God tells the serpent, your head's going to be crushed like that. That's immediately pointing to Christ. Uh, I would encourage you to, to do that. Uh, if for no other reason than one of the biggest issues that we have in the world today is the complete undefining, uh, I'm tempted to say redefining, but really it's an undefining of marriage and family. Marriage and family means whatever you want it to mean. You have two mommies, two daddies. You can have two mommies and two daddies and do like, um, uh, what did they call it? Uh, Instead of polyamory, polyfamory, polyfamory. So multiple couples coming together and having children with one another and raising those children as a polyfamory. Um, The wickedness um, and the rebellion against God's created order uh, really, really knows no bounds. Um, And these things are being basically celebrated and and we're forced to not just say, okay, there's people out there that live that way. We're, We're forced to rejoice and to think that this is this great progress in humanity when really it's nothing but regressive rebellion against God. And so I would encourage you, start there with your family, with your children. And even if you don't have children, um, you and you and your wife or you and your husband, you and your spouse, spend some time thinking about God's created order and why that matters so much. And ask yourself, okay, we call ourselves a Christian, but do we actually have a biblical worldview where how we think about everything in all of creation, how we think about the world as a whole, uh, how we think about simple things like gender, family, marriage, children, uh, education, um, whatever, how we think about all of that stuff, is it shaped through the scriptures? Is it shaped by God's word? Um, and uh, so, yeah, family period, worship period. So um, family, you go, you read Genesis. Male and female who created them, Adam and Eve, they come together. Uh, they're told to be fruitful and multiply. There's your, there's your family unit. And uh, in Ephesians 5, we're told, uh, Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I know we don't like the word submit. This is not a sermon or a lesson or anything like that on just husbands and wives and wives submitting, but I'm going to read these passages of scripture. So don't get offended. Hang tight. Let's read, let's read through all of this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Now this is Ephesians. Paul draws from Genesis. He goes all the way back to the Genesis, to to the source of things and pulls that in. Says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Then, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now that goes all the way back to Exodus. Now he's drawing from the law being given and drawing from these things. Um, And then he says, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Also, I've used this passage before, Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 6 real quick, and we can see the importance of teaching our children 
the word, teaching our children about God, but not just about God, what he has commanded us, what he has taught us, what he has given us. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. Now, again, we've if, if you listen to our podcast, we've talked about this before. If you do not listen to our podcast, but you're tuning in now, that pretty much covers every aspect of your life, right? So uh, you'll talk with them. You'll teach them diligently. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So that when you lie down and when you rise, so when you wake up in the morning, you're teaching, you're, you're, you're talking about the word, uh, you're, you're pointing to God and you're pointing to Christ. Um, as you walk by the way, you're doing that as well. When you sit in your home, when you recline in your home, you're teaching. When you lie down at night, when you lie down to rest, you're teaching. So it covers all day, every day. You're teaching diligently. You take it seriously to teach your children of God and his word and of his commandments and of the things that he has given us. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now there's another interesting thing here in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to jump to verse 20. When your son asks you in, in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you will say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us, or sorry, the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our. Um, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. What's interesting to me about that passage, well, two things really. We know now, New Testament Christians, we're under grace. And so our, our righteousness, our justification before God is not in keeping all of these rules perfectly. We know that ultimately Jesus kept all of these laws and commands perfectly. He is our perfect representative. He's our perfect sacrifice. He's our perfect savior, uh, perfect Lord. Um, secondly, though, he's, he's saying teach your children. And, and you could you say, well, how old, how old would these children be when they're talking about these things? Um, the text simply says, when they ask you, when in time your son comes to you and says, what do, you, what do these things mean? Why? Why are we doing them? There's actually an instruction to teach the children like what happened in the Exodus, like what what happened to that that led the people out of Egypt. The reason that that's significant to me is that nowadays there's a lot of things that we have this mindset like oh we've got to we've got to shield our children from certain aspects of God or there's there's certain things about God that are too big or or sometimes too scary. We're not going to tell that to our children because we don't want to scare them away from God or we don't want to tell them too much that it's going to like overwhelm them. And I don't, I don't buy that. Um, obviously, we need to use wisdom with what we teach our children and how we teach our children. But think about what happened in Egypt. There was 10 plagues. Think specifically about that last plague. All of the firstborn in Egypt died. Their lives were taken, taken from them by God, as a judgment, as a plague. Also that night, the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost of the Israelites and they were spared. Now that is a direct tie and a direct line to the gospel, to Christ, to the crucifixion, to the true Passover lamb. But think about the gravity of that, the weight of that, to be responsible to explain to your children, this is the God that we serve. We serve the one true God of all creation. We serve the one true God that has the full authority, total authority over life 
and death. And at any time, he can take our life. At any time, he can take the life of anyone that he desires, and he is within his right to do so. He can give life. He can take life. He can preserve life. He can snuff life out. He is God. He can do as he pleases. And while we were in Egypt, he sent all of these plagues down on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that culminated with God, our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, sending an angel of death. And all of the firstborn throughout the land were killed that night. But we were spared and our families were spared and we did not have to suffer that sorrow. We did not have to suffer that fate or that judgment because God allowed us to kill an animal and take that blood and apply it to our doorpost. And if the angel saw that blood on the doorpost, then he passed over us. Our God is great. Our God is mighty. Our God is severe. Our God is just. And our God is gracious. Our God is merciful. Our God is kind. Our God is holy, yet he has claimed us as his own. Now, that's a huge thing to teach a child. And you say, yeah, but they, w- they wouldn't fully understand all that. I agree. I don't think they would fully understand it on the first go. And so you teach it and then you remind them and you teach it again and you remind them again and uh, you teach it again and then you remind them some more so that the truth of God, the reality of God is implanted in their minds and in their hearts And the more that we share God's commands with them and God's laws with them and God's word with them and God's, uh, the gospel with them and all of God's promises with them, they will, by God's grace, he will, he will allow them and bring them to the place where they actually start doing what? Hiding those things in their heart and meditating on them and treasuring those things. And the more that they grow in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord, then God will use that, our prayer and our, and our hope, our faith is in the fact that he will use those things to draw our children to salvation, to bring them to salvation and to add to the kingdom. Because we know that, um, I believe I wrote it down, Psalm, oh no, I wrote down two Psalms. I don't know which one to go to right now. Psalm 101, let's do Psalm 101. Psalm 101, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. So that was one that I wrote down in reference to the fact that as we teach our children, we hope that we should already have that within us, that we don't want to set anything before our eyes that is evil. We don't want to meditate on those things, think on those things. But as we as we feed these things to our children and as we teach our children these things, then our prayer and our hope is that God will continue to be faithful and he will be gracious and he will He will give these desires to our children to to, to stay away and to shun things that are evil, things that are wicked, things that are profane, but to embrace and to cling to that which is good and that they would know nothing of evil. Psalm 127, Psalm 127, this is where I was going a second ago because I said, because we know when God gives us children, we, we, we should have great confidence and great hope. It's not a guarantee, but we should have great confidence and great hope in God's word. Uh, train your children up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they they won't depart from it. Uh, We should have great hope and great confidence that if we belong to God, then God, in an effort to grow his kingdom, um, would, would give to his children more believing children, right? And that he would continue to increase his kingdom and so that the Christian parents could send out their children into the darkness of the world to proclaim the gospel even more so, so that more souls would be brought in. Uh, 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We know that uh, Jesus is is uh, light. In him is no darkness at all. And we are children of that light. And so just to use a, a really simple, straightforward analogy, if we are light and we have children, then you could say in some ways our, our children, our prayer should be that they become these little sparks of light. The world is, is a... a Crooked and perverse generation, it's full of darkness. They love the darkness rather than the light. And so we as Christians, we're raising these little sparks of light. And these these sparks of light go out into the world, start their own families or, or live, their, live their own adult lives. And hopefully those little sparks of light are used to create wildfires that just spread, right? And the light grows brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Now, that's a little analogy using light but what about what psalm 127 says unless the lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain unless the lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep behold children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the womb is a reward Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, even that, let's go back to worldview for just a moment. So male, female, he created them. They become one. They procreate. They have children, marriage and family. We live in a world today where people can't figure out if having children is a good thing. We live in a world today where... The murder of unborn children is, is rampant. The, the wickedness of that is just astounding, staggering. Um, the fact that people will fight for it and defend it and say that, oh, it's a human right. Um, but I digress because I'm trying to be simple and straightforward here. Uh, lest there be any confusion, lest there be any confusion, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a blessing. Children are a gift. Now, with that being said, without question, children are a gift when marriage and family are biblically defined and when children are created within the confines of a biblical marriage and the marriage bed um, is used for it in for its intended God-glorifying purposes. So some may say, well, yeah, but what if a child is born in a, if there's an abusive relationship or if there's just a bad, it doesn't have to be abusive, just a bad relationship or a one-night stand or whatever else. Children are a blessing. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Um, we need to acknowledge that that simplistic, basic truth that, that children... It's a, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. But let's get back to within the family. If, if you're um, a Christian and you're married and you already have a family and that family is growing, or if you're trying to start a family, have confidence and have hope. Okay, children are a reward. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is a blessing. When God gives his children more children, that's a, that's a blessed thing. We should rejoice, right? We should, we should be excited. We should be eager to raise these children up in the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. But then it goes even a step further. So the fruit of the womb is a reward. But listen, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So earlier I used a little example of like light. Uh, I'm a male, obviously. So me as a husband... Kristen, my wife, uh, us being light bearers, we have children. Those children, our prayers that there'll be little sparks of light that when they are old enough to start a life of their own, as sparks of light, they go out into the darkness and the sinfulness of the world and they shine light where they're at. And, and if God is gracious and if God is merciful and of and of God uses their little sparks of light 
then we pray that, you know, little wildfires would start and that light would spread and souls would come to salvation and God would be glorified um, even more so. Now, so that's an exciting thought, right? But even with, with either one of these analogies, the light or the warrior, like, like arrows, a man should fill his quiver with them. He shoots those arrows out into the world, right? <clears throat> the responsibility to raise those children as children of the light or to raise those children as arrows for the kingdom or arrows for God's glory, that's a responsibility that we are to take seriously. And that's a responsibility that takes commitment and diligence. And it's also a responsibility like, look, I don't, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea here. You're never going to be perfect at it. I'm certainly not perfect at it. Um, we do try to have family worship every night. Sometimes it's like five minutes. Sometimes it's 30 minutes and it's really beautiful. Uh, and I don't mean beautiful like elegant. I mean beautiful because I can tell all the children are paying attention, you know. Uh, and those moments are beautiful and those moments are very exciting. But some nights it's like five to ten minutes. And within those five or ten minutes, we've got to take like a little break because Rose is screaming her head off or because Ren's trying to get out of her chair and like run around the living room and we've got to rein that in. <clears throat> and so sometimes, sometimes family worship kind of almost turns into like just reminding the family like why we do this, right? Like, hey, we're not, me as your dad, I'm not going to allow you to run around the living room and be crazy. I'm not going to allow you to, <coughs> to just pout and not pay attention to God's word because God is the reason why any of us are here. God is the reason why we have a family. God is the reason why we are to, to love one another and to be united as a family and to be a, a strong, godly family. We have an opportunity as a family to glorify God and, and we need to take that seriously and we need to be humble and we need to repent of all the times that we're not taking it seriously, that we don't desire God, so on and so forth. And with, with Ren, she's two. And so um, sometimes I'll just ask her, I'll say, I'll say, Ren, um, who's most important? And she'll say, God. And I will make sure, like I'll say, God is more important than, and she'll say, Daddy, Mama, and Wren, and, and she'll name the whole family. And then we'll end by saying, God is more important than everybody. Um, and that's something that has stuck with her. Um, sometimes she'll bring that up on her own now. And so it don't, again, if you're not in the habit of being, like doing, sorry, being, <laughs> If you're not in the habit of being family worship, that would be difficult. If you're not in the habit of doing family worship, don't don't get caught up in trying to make it profound or trying to make it perfect. I know, um, again, me personally, that was something that hindered me because I always, obviously, I'm a pastor, so I felt like family worship, like, oh, I need to prepare my family worship. Here's my first. Here's here's one point. Here's two points. Here's this, and it's got to. I've got to have enough time. I've got to have enough time to get through it. Don't. Just be consistent and making time with your family that we are going to intentionally glorify God together. We're going to intentionally pray together. We're going to intentionally read the word and talk about the word together. And we're going to sing together, even if it's just one song. We typically just sing the doxology. Um, and, you know, but consistently, faithfully, intentionally, worshiping God together as a family. So if our children are like these little sparks of light or if they're these arrows that we're sending out into the world, then we should take seriously the responsibility to parent them in such a way that they are being raised up in the instruction and the admonition and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Um, uh, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven is another reference that I wrote down. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's something that, that that's worth teaching our children. That listen, you can you can get really really good at a sport. You can get really really smart in the arts or in the sciences or, or or whatever else. You can you can literally be smart enough that you could be whatever you want to be. None of that matters, and you're still not smart if you don't acknowledge that God is God, and if you have no fear of God before your eyes. If you have no fear of God before your eyes, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how wise you think you are. You're still just a fool. And teaching your children that is so important that it doesn't matter what you think you know, or it doesn't matter how good your grades are in school. 
if we do not acknowledge that God is God and if we don't have fear of God before our eyes, then we're, we're fools and we're, we're lost. Um, so that was another simple thing that we can t- uh, teach our children. Um, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 1. Yeah, I'm already in the Psalms. I was like, ah, oh, that sounds familiar. I think I'm already in the Psalms. And sure enough, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Well, that sounds very familiar to Deuteronomy 6. Um, day and night, when you rise, when you lie down, when you're in the way, when you walk by the way, when you rest in your house or recline at your house. So, Teaching our children these things, uh, very important. And, and we should have great hope because we know that, that the fruit of the womb is a reward, that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Blessed is the man who feels his quiver with them. Um, and so we should be excited. I, I don't want anybody to think like, oh, this is, I haven't been doing family worship or I have been doing family worship, but I fall short a lot. And Oh, this just feels like such a heavy burden. Don't let it be a burden. Remember the gospel. We're not like our right standing before God uh, is not contingent upon our law keeping or our obedience to anything, but we should have a joyful desire to say, what greater thing could I teach my children than God who is faithful, um, Christ who has redeemed us, Christ who has saved us, Christ who is Lord, uh, what greater thing could I possibly teach my children and leave behind for my children and instill in them that God is God. He is the, the one true God of all creation, that he has full reign and full authority over all creation and he has put everything in order. And because he is the God of all creation, he gets to define things. And if we define things differently than he defines them, we're always wrong and he's still always right. And to tie this all the way back to the beginning, if we want our children to be able to hold their own or to stand their ground, so to speak, as they go to public school and if they go to secular university, but even just as they become adults, like even if they don't go to secular anywhere, even if they just graduate high school and go into the workforce, if we want our children to be able to stand their own and to, and to to be like that tree that's planted by the waters. Well, first and foremost, by the grace of God, they'll be regenerated. They'll be born again. So they they have to have a sincere, true faith that only comes by the grace of God alone. But they've got to know these things for themselves. It's it, it, it it's not enough to just say, well, my mom and dad taught me that such and such is wrong. No, they need to be able to look at their peers, their friends, their coworkers, and explain to them why we believe what we believe and why certain things are wrong by explaining to them biblically um, what our convictions are and biblically how God is the one who gets to order things the way that he desires to order them and define things as he desires to define them because he alone is God. Okay, guys, sorry for the few seconds of silence there. Just wanted to finish this up. What happened, uh, and in fact, the last little minute or so that you listened there, uh, I was really just trying to recreate how I wrapped up that thought as we were recording live on Facebook. Um, the recording went down here uh, on the computer, and I, I didn't catch it. I wasn't aware of it. So I'm coming back to wrap up uh, here on for the podcast. Now, uh, as far as the Facebook Live video goes, if you want to finish the rest of that, I would just encourage you to go to the Facebook page there. Actually, it's my personal Facebook page. So just Caleb Folsom on Facebook. We're really just missing about the last 10 or 12 minutes uh, that we did on, on Facebook Live. So I'll just try to recap that real quick here rather than trying to re-record or try to recreate it all. Uh, with me not being in that same frame of mind and, and, and being able to just connect directly uh, right back to that. Um, so 
we, we did wrap up that thought about our children being able to articulate the faith. And um, I, I posited a question of, you know, do you really think that it's possible for our children to be able to defend the faith or articulate the faith in that way and to be able to do so successfully? And my response to that was simply this, yes, by God's grace. Uh, if we do raise children that are able to uh, share their faith and, and, and defend the faith and to be able to stand their own ground uh, and to be able to tell their peers and coworkers and, and, and friends that, listen, that God has spoken. And even though you think you're the one that is wise and I'm the one that's foolish, the truth of the matter is you do not fear God and you do not acknowledge that he is God. Therefore, you are the one that is foolish and I'm the one that is wise, not not by anything of my own nature, but just by the fact that I'm acknowledging that God is God and I'm submitting to his authority. Um, and, and, and so if, if our children are able to do that, and if we as adults are able to do that, to stand our ground and to look uh, people face to face and say, yes, I will say that the secular scientists and the leading studies of the world are wrong because they are rebelling against God's authority and no matter how wise or smart you believe yourself to be or you believe those scientists and, and those scholars to be, they are still yet foolish because they do not acknowledge that God is God and they do not submit to his authority. If we, if we are capable of raising children that grow to do that and to stand their ground and, and to, to be a light that shines in the darkness, it will not be because we did so well at home teaching them and training them, we will not be able to take credit for that, or at least we ought not. I'm sure some people have tried to take credit for that at some point, but it will be by God's grace. It is God's grace that has saved us. It is God's grace that has given us children. Uh, it is God's grace that we have the opportunity to teach our children of God's grace and of the gospel and to teach them about Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is God's grace that allows those things to sink into their hearts and to draw them to salvation and to strengthen them and mature them so that they in turn go out and they are those sparks of light or they are those arrows that go out into the world for God's glory. Um, I, I, I wrapped up the, the Facebook live video as well, just mentioning um, one, of the, one of the main reasons uh, that I wanted to, to do an installment like this with with. Christians getting really up in arms about some of the stuff that, that's happening in the secular entertainment scene or the secular entertainment realm. And um, rather than diving into all of that again, I will simply say, if you're a Christian and you're raising a family, or even if you don't have children, you're just a Christian couple, or if you're just a single Christian, please consider the entertainment that you're allowing into your life or your entertainment choices. Consider how you're spending your free time, um, because I, I do think that in the grand scheme of things, there's many Christians and many Christian families that partake of entertainment and partake of social media at the same rate or at the same clip as non-believers. And, and that at the end of the day, that's just not good. I mean, it's not right. We should, we should have a different manner of living. Um, we should have different habits and different hobbies and different traits, um, than those that are non-believers. And so just, just please consider that because ultimately, ultimately it shouldn't take a guy dressed up as Satan and people acting like they're worshiping him to get our attention. Like it shouldn't take something of that nature to, to make us say, hey, something's seriously not right here. Um, we, we, should have, we should have very little to no desire to want to continuously take in the entertainment of godless people. Um, and so please, please do consider that. And overall, of course, we, again, we want this to be an encouragement and a blessing to you um, by listening to this, an encouragement to implement family worship or either to stay strong and continue in family worship for the glory of God. And um, we, we use a couple of different things and this is how I close the Facebook video out. So this is how I'll close out here as well. Uh, Jesus and My Gender is a book by Dale Partridge that we use. It is a children's book and we use that and has been very beneficial. We also use the Illustrated Baptist Catechism 
Now those answers are a little bit longer. We shorten those answers for the children to, to help them memorize those things better. But a catechism, catechesis, is a very beneficial way for the entire family, adults and children alike, to memorize strong biblical truth. And then we also have our own little family catechism that we've implemented. It's just four questions, and perhaps this will help you. Um, this is just something that we do, um, and so I'll share it. Maybe it'll be beneficial. If not, that's fine too, but every single day, at least once a day, we start with question number one, is God good? And the answer is yes, God is infinitely good. Question number two, what has God promised to his children? The answer, that all things work together for their good and his glory. Question three, how can we know that we belong to God? The answer, through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work of redemption. Question four, if we belong to God, how much of life is good? The answer, all of life is good for those who are children of an infinitely good God. So maybe those things will help you. I would definitely encourage you to get the Illustrated Baptist, Cate Baptist Catechism and Jesus and My Gender. Maybe that family catechism will help you as well. But thank you so much for listening to this installment of Christianity Proper. As always, we'd love to hear from you. My number is 912-339-4211. You can message us on Facebook or you can email us at properministries at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We hope it was a blessing. I would ask that you pray for me as I prepare the, the next installment of Christianity Proper. As I mentioned earlier, we've been working on that and uh, continue, continuing to do kind of a deep dive on that one. And I would ask specifically for prayer um, because sadly, I do think that some of the things that are gonna be said would be considered controversial. They ought not be considered controversial. They are very important. They are very pertinent to things that are going on right now. Um, and I know they need to be brought up and I, I know that every Christian ought to consider them. Um, but do be praying for me as I prepare that and we get ready for that next installment. But um, thank you once more. We hope to catch you on the next installment of Christianity Proper, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life, and may God be glorified in all things. Thank you.